Hello and welcome to another, another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today are your co-host, Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, yo. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> Good. How's it in New Orleans? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. We have the COVID, we have uh, protests, and we have a tropical storm um, about to hit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> We're good with that. Hey, and we also have Wailu from Australia. How you doing? How are you? Hey, how's it down there? Winter's coming, right? Um, oh, yeah, it's cold right now. Um, it's, it's early <laughs> morning and it's, it's super cold. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So today on the show, we have somebody I think a lot of you people know and probably love him. I think you love him. Yep. His name is Jeff Fritz. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. <laughs> oh, great, thanks for joining great, us. great to have you. Do you want to improve the quality of your source code? There's a great solution, a static code analyzer. PVS Studio is a tool designed to detect errors and potential vulnerabilities in the source code programs written in C, C++, C Sharp, and Java. The analyzer can be used on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. PVS Studio performs static code analysis and generates a report that helps a programmer find and fix bugs. It performs a wide range of code checks and is also useful in finding misprints and copy-paste errors. There's a good opportunity to get a month free trial and save your project from bugs. Follow the link in the bio, download PVS Studio for free at devchat.tv slash PVS and use the promo code ADV.net, A-D-V-D-O-T-N-E-T. You know, I, I watched a lot of the shows that you're on and know somewhat about you, but I don't know how it really started with you. Give us kind of the intro of who is Jeff Ritz, how he got started and where he's at now. Oh my gosh. So, hi, my name is Jeff. I'm a Virgo. I like long walks on the beach. I'm about 20 years into my development career here. And uh, I, I'm in the Philadelphia area. I, I spent some time with finance company, pharmaceutical companies. I went to TechEd for a few years. I went to I worked for a couple startups. And while I was at TechEd, I was very interested in this ASP.NET MVC technology that they were talking about and trying to get folks excited about and I got interested in speaking at my local user group and teaching other folks about it as ASP.NET MVC was becoming a thing. And I, I very much at that point started my speaking journey at my local user group and, and a couple of the ones in the region. I, I went to TechEd again and there was this speaker idol thing, right? That pop idol takeoff, right? American idol, pop mm. idol. And I was, I, I said, hey, I can, I can do that. I reached out to the organizers and I, I got a spot speaking and I, I didn't win, but I was noticed and I got picked up by Telerik and I was a developer advocate for them talking about ASP.NET for a few years when I was showing up at all the same events that the ASP.NET team was at. And they kept saying, you're talking about our product better than us. Why don't you come do that for us? And I got picked up by Microsoft and now I'm a community manager for Microsoft specializing in .NET, Visual Studio, getting folks interested and excited about, about all of the Visual Studio family. Um, very interested in .NET, .NET Core, Blazor, uh, getting folks onto Azure if that's where they're looking to go. And, and doing that outreach to place folks at events and, and engage with the live video community. I think there's really something happening with live video particularly right now. I mean, Caleb, you mentioned about the pandemic. Everybody's mm. at home. How do, we, right. how do we have a conference? How do we have learning opportunities? And where I was getting involved with live video on Twitch, 
back in 2017, I was real excited. I, I love the, the platform. I love being able to, to communicate and talk directly to an audience. And, and it's worked out very well for me. I'm, I spend a lot of time on Twitch meeting with developers, talking and, and sharing common experiences because it is a social media platform. So we've been doing a number of uh, virtual events over there, whether it's .NET Conf. We, we ran a section, a segment of Microsoft Build on Twitch um, in May, May 2020. That was a tremendous experiment for that event. And uh, we're looking forward to more experiments, bringing more great Microsoft content to that interactive platform. Yeah, it seems like more and more of our uh, guests that we've had on recently have been live coders. So oh, like Mark tremendous. Miller. Mark Miller, we had him on. He's doing it all the time. Oh, yeah. So it really, really is taking off. The Live Coder team, you guys have like 100 people on Twitch, right, that are part of that or more. It's so a large community. It is. It's a very large community. The Live Coders team is 150 folks that, that write code, that work with hardware, do some 3D printing, different technologies that they're sharing on Twitch and openly discussing with their audience. How can, how can we learn more about things together, work on a project together, dig into some IOT or, or in my case, .NET web applications and answer those questions that folks have. It, when you go on to a Stack Overflow, right? And you, you have a question for, you throw out there, hey, I don't know how to get people to log into my website. How do you do this? You're inevitably going to get those first couple of comments that come through. It, didn't you search already for this question? You know, what, you know, I need more details. And it almost feels rude on some of these boards. And Stack Overflow had a bit of a, uh, politeness problem for a while there and they're working on it they've cleaned it up a bit but when you can go on twitch or or youtube right but i, I particularly like twitch because anybody can go in there anybody can tune in and see somebody broadcasting it when you see that smiling face that's happy to answer your question and work around and show some of the cool things they're doing in a very almost like pair programming environment. It's a great experience for everybody. And folks walk away happy from those types of developer radio experiences. You, you mentioned that, you know, you mentioned about the pandemic. I was just wondering like how things have changed. Like, have you seen your user base increase and things like that? Because everyone's working from home. Absolutely. We've seen the user base, the viewer base improve significantly across the board. Twitch has seen an increase between 30 and 40% of viewership in the past three mm -hmm. months. So for me as a broadcaster, I love seeing that. I love hearing that. I'm, I'm seeing my viewership on an uptick. When you can host a show and, and you go on, you start broadcasting, and you can see a couple thousand people watch over the duration of, of a few hours that you're talking to folks and working on a project. It's almost like hosting your own conference at that point which yeah. is encouraging for, for me as a broadcaster because now I know I'm reaching folks. I know that I'm able to hear from them and get that important feedback, whether it's for the Visual Studio team or a .NET team and, and seeing, well, maybe we're missing some documentation or there's a feature that doesn't behave quite right or we need better samples to demonstrate some of these things. That interaction is just huge to help shape the story for where those products are going to go. I was uh, recently watching one of your Twitch streams. You were trying to spin up a, a new project, doing it through Visual Studio, and it wasn't working like you expected. And I think actually one of your people in chat was like, oh, you have to go do that to the command line interface. And yeah. you're like, well, that's not right. You're like, okay, we're going to have to put, put, uh, put a ticket in on this because 
you know, we need to have it both ways and be consistent. I guess it's similar to to what Mark is doing, right? You're you're dog fooding your own software and applications and uh, improving them as as you go. Absolutely, it, it's extremely powerful to to be able to go back and say, yeah, we ran the preview version of so and so framework or application, and here's the gaps that we ran into. Oh. And here's a video timestamp of when we ran into those and the feedback that we saw from chat from some of our folks that are commonly interacting here. When the team has that level of evidence around a feature gap or a bug, um, it really makes it easy for them to justify, oh, yeah, we need to fix this. We need to change how this behaves, improve when they can see it and they can see the feedback immediately. So the last few months... I believe you've been spending a good deal of time on .NET Core and Blazor and how you can use them anywhere, right? Oh my gosh, um, yes. uh, Can you speak to that a little bit? I, I've really latched on to this idea of theme months. Uh, there's another streamer mm-hmm. who goes by the name Ellie Face who had, runs with this idea of theme months throughout the year on Twitch and, and she's got different game theme months. But I, I said to myself, well, how can we do that with technology? And, and, you know, take her learnings and, and put my spin on it and, and still pay homage to what she does. And, and I say, well, let's do minimal, right? What folks look at .NET that aren't, that aren't paying attention, that aren't paying attention is the wrong phrase, that, that haven't been exposed to .NET Core yet. And they're used to, well, it's .NET Framework. You need Visual Studio. You need to be on Windows. And if you don't have Microsoft Things X, Y, and Z, well, you can't be a .NET developer. And, and there were some particular threads on, on Twitter in February that, that really struck me as, these folks don't know what we can do now with .NET Core. They don't know you don't have to be on Visual Studio or on Windows. You can go anywhere. So... I said, well, let's let's do this all in Linux and we'll call it, and we'll do it all in the command line. We'll use VI and we'll call it minimal march. So we're bare minimum. We're going to take everything down to just the command line and 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 VI. Maybe we'll drop in Visual Studio Code when we get in, in Linux just to show that, hey, you can still use that here. But the idea being minimal install, just the SDK. What can we do? And we built some, some Blazor features and not some features for a framework based on blazer throughout the month now that's one thing to bring up a linux vm and have it running on on our workstation and and like many developers i've got a nice powerful workstation with 32 gig of ram and i7 processor and it works great but that's not minimal you know what i mean guys what let's face it are are the kids in the schools right if you're a kid in high school here in the states they get minimal if they get a right. get a machine, right? So, Caleb, I took it on myself one night. I said, I'm going to drive out to Walmart. And I went out to my local Walmart and I said, I'm going to give myself a budget of $200. And I'm going to pick up a Chromebook. And whatever Chromebook they have, because that's minimal, right? That's what the typical, right. uh, somebody who's not a developer and just needs to get to web browsing, check some emails, doesn't want a tablet, wants, wants a little more. I picked up a Chromebook. So I picked up an HP Chromebook and I figured this is minimal because it doesn't even have the SDK on it. It doesn't even have development software on it, right? Nothing like that. It's literally just a, a browser OS, right, guys? Right. So, I was like, how are you going to go about that? Yeah, I'm curious. Right. So it does have a Linux terminal on it because it's mm-hmm. running inside of a container. 
So I, I grabbed the SDK, the .NET SDK, put it down on the machine, and I was able to spin up my, my code, and I was able to continue working. Now, I mean, it's got two gig of RAM. It's running on an i3. So it wasn't screaming fast, but we were able to do it. We were able to build Blazor and ASP.NET Core applications on a Chromebook. Fantastic, right? We, we've kind of shown that you can go any computing device and really do that. Really, right? If the device has a keyboard and a screen, we can do these things. And, and I really like working with Blazor on stream. It's, it, it really has a good feel for me, right? So I, in, in May, May I've, I've been doing traditionally, I've called it May is for Macs. And showing, look, we can do all of this on a Mac. So I've got Visual Studio for Mac, Visual Studio Code that I can use there. And we continue building and doing things with Blazor. And, and it's a lot of fun to, to be able to show that we really can do .NET anywhere. But it, can I share with you guys an idea that I'm thinking about? And coming off of some of the build announcements, I want to get yeah. your feedback. Can I get your feedback on this? Absolutely. So it's one thing to say, look, I can build with something that looks like a laptop. All right, it's underpowered. It's the Chromebook. Or I've got a, a MacBook Air, right? Of course, I've got a Lenovo, whatever, Surface Book, so-and-so. Because we have code spaces now, what if we got an in, uh, uh, a Kindle Fire tablet? Because that has a browser <laughs> on it. Ah, Caleb knows where I'm going. Look at that over there. What if we got a Kindle Fire tablet and set up the streaming rig out on the cloud somewhere in Azure and I live outside Philadelphia. Take phone, take a Bluetooth keyboard just so I have a keyboard and park on the steps to the Philadelphia Art Museum and stream from there with only a, a Kindle Fire as my computing device and show that I can still do .NET development just from anywhere, literally with nothing. My broadcast gear, but just a Kindle Fire. What do you think? That would be a monumentous feat right this is like yeah. monumental feat yeah yeah there's, that's that would be cool there's something about access when i say accessibility the access that folks have to the technology it's one thing to say well we want to make sure that that folks who don't don't have right they, they have some vision challenge that they have some some auditory challenges they might not be able to compute the same way as folks that have all of their senses but those that don't have access to the, the type of gear that, that developers here in the States, Australia, first world countries have access to, those, when you only have a Kindle Fire and you're somewhere where, that doesn't have great network connection, what can you do? And to, to the best of my capabilities and go somewhere that's scenic, like, the, like a museum of art in my, my city, I think that might be a little bit interesting, a little bit of a challenge to do and, and stream for an hour or two to show that you can do it. Other than performance, do you think there's any other limitations that you would have doing stuff like that? That's a, that's a great question, Sean. I, well, of course, screen size, right? When, when we think right. about the little Kindle Fire tablet, right? It's, it's not the, the 11-inch of, of an iPad, right? It's like 8 inches, mm -hmm. something like that? It's um, a model, yeah, 7, yeah. 10, 11, yeah. Yeah, so I think, I think screen size is going to be a big one to start with. It, it doesn't have a keyboard, right? So I could either be right with the, the touch screen, but I've got a couple of Bluetooth keyboards that I think would work with it. I, I don't even have the device yet. I'm, I'm kind of feeling it out. I'm going to go order the device and figure out how I can make this work. But the idea of .NET anywhere anybody can do it, Mm-hmm. 
in in my mind is very powerful for our community. It 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 says it's an open door. It it's right when I think back ten years ago to where .NET was in two thousand ten. You needed to buy Visual Studio 2010 if you wanted to do .NET development. There was no Express Edition, Community Edition. They were just starting to open those doors and talk about it. But to be able to take and get .NET development anywhere, any device, literally anywhere, in, in regardless of your network connection or, or how much money you have to buy, it, it removes a bit of gatekeeping that was actually in place when you think about it from 10 years ago. And, and that access to the technology is, is such a powerful thing to be able to give to everybody who wants to, to be a developer. They also have it where with Samsung phones, you can hook up a Bluetooth keyboard and an external monitor. Yeah, there and you go. You can get bigger resolution. And I think <laughs> a, lot of more, a lot more people might have that sticking in their pocket that they could actually do that anywhere. Yeah. So right, and, and if, sort of, if you root it, you've, you've got access to Linux right there. Oh, so, yeah. Well, yeah. What about the fact that um, you're running on an ARM processor? Have you found that kind of... Because um, I know that the Visual Studio and stuff, that, that, that doesn't actually work on, on ARM processors. You're right. Visual Studio won't run on ARM, but you can run the SDK on ARM. There, are, <laughs> there is a flavor of it that does run on yeah. an ARM processor. It will give you the the framework dependent, right? Framework dependent, runtime dependent versions of your ex, uh, your binaries when you generate. So when you take those and copy it over to your Mac, copy it over to Linux, as long as the the runtime for those machines is available, it mm. should still work, right? Okay, gotcha. and the and the, like all the CLIs and what stuff should run on on yeah, 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 it so. should run. Let's see if it works. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? <laughs> but right, the 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 interesting thing about running, as Sean was suggesting, on a um, on on a phone or running on Kindle Fire is if if you use Visual Studio Code Spaces, well, now you're actually in the cloud. You're just wow. using the browser at that point. True. Yeah. Right. So right. you'd be able to get away with both. I'm not compiling locally. It's compiling somewhere right. else. You know, we had uh, Daniel Roth on last year. And, and we talked a lot about Blazor. A lot has happened uh, since then with Blazor. And it seems like that, uh, for you, that, that's a key component to what you're doing right now, right? You're, you're saying, yes, I can show you that .NET Core runs anywhere, but, but Blazor really runs anywhere these days. Blazor, as, a, as the next generation user interface framework that was right uh, first RTM'd with .NET Core 3 back in September, mm-hmm during .NET Conf 2019. A tremendous framework that gave us back that concept of components that we can embed in pages, that we can embed inside of other components and, and compose our user interfaces again. MVC, Razor Pages took us back to write all your code, write all of your uh, markup in order to drive your web user interface. And for some folks, they really like that. For other folks who are a little bit more, a little bit want to do a little bit more rapid application development. Having that component-driven framework, like WebForms had back in the day, is extremely valuable. And this is some of the desire that folks have to use things like Angular and Vue and React, where you do have components that you can reuse. Somebody else wrote a component for a progress bar or a grid that you can consume and reuse inside of your application. Well, that's great. 
But for some folks, they don't want to have to go and relearn JavaScript to go use all of these different frameworks and, and certainly keep up with the pace of change in some of those frameworks. So when we, when we think about Blazor, when it was just server side, to have those components that you could drop in and use and get that, that very small footprint for delivering content across the network using SignalR channels, that's pretty good with just uh, Blazor server. But now, now we're three weeks removed from build. And here, build 2020, we had the RTM, the release to manufacturers, or RTW, release to web, I guess we would call it now, for, for Blazor WebAssembly. So that was stamped version 3.2, and it's a current release. That means that as updates are delivered for it, minor version updates, you're kind of required to do the update in order to maintain support. But you've got support. You have support for Blazor running with WebAssembly in the browser. And it runs this exact same component model as you have with Blazor Server. So what we really like about that now is you've you've got components that run and compile with whether it's .NET Core on the server or it's Mono inside the browser. The same code runs wherever you need it to. So I can deliver that internet-facing application that has very small network footprint that runs primarily on the server. Maybe I've got some uh, proprietary business logic that I want to run on the server, be isolated and protected, and have it run in a validated system. Fantastic. You can do that, and it'll deliver those very small bursts of content out out to the browser and the folks that are using your application. Or if you want to have a great progressive web app, right? A PWA that'll run on somebody's mobile device. When they're on high-speed network, they can download that Blazor WebAssembly app, have it all compiled and run and cached locally. So they don't need to be connected. They can have a very small connection back to the network because they've already installed the big application that DLLs and things are running in the browser and local to the device. That to me feels like a much better much better delivery and management experience for a mobile application than having to go through the process of deploying to somebody's app store, waiting for validation, and then it gets updated, and a notification to get to somebody's device, waiting, making sure it's installed and they're on the network and all the things. Oh, forget it. It's a progressive web app. You click the button. It verified it's the right version when it was on the network. You've got the latest bits. Next time you're back on the network, we're going to sync the data. It's all good. So we've got a couple different models that we can go forward with with Blazor. And that's absolutely tremendous for us as .NET developers to have. Mm-hmm. And now we're even seeing experiments where folks are saying, well, what if we took that Blazor concept and applied it to some of our Xamarin tools so that we can use Blazor to build mobile apps? And that's what we see with what they call the mobile blinding, mobile, there we go, I can't even say it right myself, the mobile <laughs> bindings for Blazor. That's a mouthful. Folks were saying it's MBB. Those are, that's the acronym, MBB. Okay, but it's the Mobile Bindings for Blazor. And it's an experiment, just like Blazor initially was. What do people think of this? Does it make sense? Is it a, a good technology to explore? And there's more that we can do there to, to tinker and, and get some feedback. It's not, it's not supported yet. It's, and, and this is kind of the advantage that we have with open source technologies. We can throw an experiment out there and say, well, what do you think? And it's something we're trying out. And here's the engineers iterating on it. There's one or two people that are 
investigating and exploring. And those people that are enthusiasts that are excited about that type of technology can engage and see exactly the code that is changing, see the roadmap going forward for the experiment, offer feedback, and at some point make a proper decision. Does this work? Is this something that makes sense? When I say work, that's probably the wrong choice. Is this a a, a good product for us to consider using further into the future? Or is it pretty much an experiment that has run its course and you know what, it, it's not going to solve problems in a way that makes us more productive, more effective. Let's let's park it and we'll move on and try something else. And that that sense of experimentation is something that I think a lot of us as developers can really sink our teeth into and tinker, try things out, experiment, right? Everybody likes to try something new. And if you can experiment with something and you find that it is successful for you, let's encourage that. Let's keep growing it. And I think that's something that that we've tried and learned from the the Blazor experiment over the last three years. And and we can come away now and say, yeah, that worked out pretty good. Let's let's see where we go from here. And looking forward, we're going to see a version of Blazor that gets shipped with .NET 5 in the fall. Okay. Let's let's see the updates and the improvements that come with that version. And there's going to be a version that ships with .NET 6 next year. Fantastic. Let's see where the team goes with this because the the more feedback, the more applications that we see built by developers using the technology will help shape that direction and the growth pattern for for the technology, for the product. I've been really excited about Blazor ever since it's first come out because, you know, I've been a long time web forms developer. So it seemed very, very comfortable for me yeah. uh, using that model of development and with the components. And that's kind of why I also do some Angular development because everything's based upon components. Uh, the one downside I had on the server side was always the, if you make a change to the server, then you lose the state for all the connected users. So yeah. I'm even more excited about, you know, WebAssembly versions. So what we found is that, right, just like we did with with web forms, there are ways to persist state outside of the, the in-memory process. So if you aren't just relying on the in-memory storage and persistence of some of your class scope variables, if you do kick them over to a database store or somewhere else that it is out of process from the web server, now actually things get a little bit more interesting, Sean. Just like just like when you throw your, your session and your app state management for a web forms application over into a database, now round robin capabilities for load balancing become available to you because it doesn't matter what server you connect to. You're going to fetch some of that state data from database server or something and do those interactions, which, okay, that's, you know what, that's terrific to have that as a backup. Access the stuff in memory first if it's there. And if you lose it, try and go get it from the database uh, in the background. So So when it has to do a diff on on the views, it can do that outside of the process. It, you won't necessarily get the diff of the views, but you'll get this. You'll be able to get the state back, repaint the screen, and reinitialize it. Okay, so like send a complete new view down yeah. the pipe. Okay, yeah, which is better than. Oops, sorry, we lost your connection. We forgot right. where you are. You're done. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, what about, uh, I think WebAssembly is actually what I'm really excited about. So what's the browser compatibility on that? Like, is it basically supported in all major browsers these days, like even IE? Blazor WebAssembly runs on top of that WebAssembly technology that that is part of the HTML5 spec. And thanks to our friends Spectre and Meltdown, everybody remembers those processor flaws how many years ago now. Right. right? 
they, they forced everybody to op- update your operating system, update your browser. And consequently, everybody got a new version that supports HTML5. Now, if you are still running a, a patched version of IE, WebAssembly doesn't run on, on IE. They just never built support for it. But Blazor Server will run on IE. So this is where you, if you do need to support an out-of-support browser, you can technically do it by using Blazor Server technology, which then comes back to it, kind of like Sean was saying, I can build components that target either, right? Because they're, they're just Razor components. Mm-hmm. And I can have a server shell version that, that runs and do alternate rendering between that Blazor Server and Blazor WebAssembly and route appropriately if folks don't have capability. Well, we're going to, just like we used to do back in the day, right? You'd go to m.mywebsite.com, right? If you had a mobile, <laughs> you could do something similar. Well, I need to send you over to the server version because you, you don't have enough network bandwidth. You don't have support for WebAssembly. You could do that level of interaction, right? And, and the code would be the same as that, wouldn't it, really? Exactly, Rob. Exactly. So this is, right, this is kind of that benefit. Build one shared component library and, and just build those two shim frameworks, mm. shim applications, one that is the WebAssembly, one that is the Blazor server, and you could put effectively, right, a check, a browser capabilities check up front and determine whether to let them in or to WebAssembly or ship over to Blazor server. Mm. It's a very interesting and compelling architecture. I'm, I'm looking for somebody that has a good write-up of using this. I've, I've done it a little bit myself and it's, it's not bad because you end up with two projects that actually reference and include the exact same content. And if you, if you do it right because of how we can take our CS proj, our project files, you can actually point them at the same content on disk and tell it, well, share this content, even though you're compiling up into this model or that model, and still reference that same Razor Components library in both places. And it it does compile and run identically in both environments. Great. But um, I, I would love to see somebody write up a couple blog posts about how they may have done something like this for their application. Do you think at a certain percentage of the people that would be interested in, in Blazor would be people upgrading their, their web forms app. And I guess a lot of them might, their web forms app is very legacy. It might only run in an old browser, you know, so. Yeah. And right. These are folks who haven't seen, they haven't seen developing on a Mac. They haven't seen working with Linux yeah. containers. So th- this is where I kind of stepped into things back at, what was it? Ignite in 2019, I had a, a talk with Dan Roth, we were on stage and we were talking about Blazor for web forms developers because like, like Sean was saying, it's very comfortable for folks who are web forms developers used to that component-based environment to look at Blazor and say, this makes sense for me to go to, not MVC or Razor pages. So what's that mean? What, how do we do that conversion? And, and Dan and I talked through that on at, at that event and there's things that you end up refactoring. .NET Standard plays a really good role in this because I can take my business logic out of the Web Forms app, throw it into .NET Standard, and it, as a .NET Standard class library, continue to use it in Web Forms while I'm building that Blazor app around it. But what if, what if we had components in 
blazer that had the same same effect, the same name, the same capabilities as those stock controls that we got from ASP.NET Web Forms. That's Woo! right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was at that talk that you guys, that you and Daniel were given at, at Ignite. So I just want to let people know if they do have a chance, if they're at a conference online or in person, whenever that starts up again, do check out you or Daniel talking about Blazor. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of this. So, Sean, we took the next steps with that. We said, well, we know what the tags look like from ASP.NET web controls. Let's just recreate them in Blazor and have them generate the exact same markup. So we, we started this open source project called Blazor Web Forms Components. And the idea is they do the same thing. You, you have to change your, you have to change your markup slightly because you're, you're going from that Web Forms flavor of markup, right? The ASPX files, the ASCX files. And you have to get them now into Razor, but I can still have tags that look pretty much the same, right? I mean, if I've got an ASP repeater control, it's ASP colon repeater, and I've got a bunch of attributes there. Well, you can't really do the namespaces. But if I can just drop the ASP colon repeater and all the re ASP colon in the repeater tag, and all of my code renders the same way that's inside of that, that's pretty compelling. That gets me like 90 some percent code reuse. And we're almost done the first revision of these components that gives you that capability so that you could lift an ASPX page, change it, rename it to a dot razor and change your markup so that it's, it's razor flavored. And right. Maybe we can get some text, text manipulation tools to help with that actual conversion process. And I think I've found a couple tools that will help with that. I'm, I'm working on just a few more tweaks on those and maybe in the next month, we'll have some demos that show a way that you can do this conversion real easy. We're, we're really excited about what that means for, for folks who want to do that upgrade. How do you do that migration? Because, my gosh, some of these apps have been around since 2001, 2002. Mm -hmm. Like, they're older than my kids. <laughs> these apps have been going to college. <laughs> it's like, yep, I've got some of those. <laughs> so, so how how do we how do we give them new life? Extend the support life cycle on those. You've still got support web for web forms. Without question, there's support for at least another 10 years if you've upgraded to .NET 4.8. Fantastic. But if you want to take that web forms application, put it into a Docker container, start talking about Kubernetes, get into orchestration. Maybe you want to use microservices. You you want to start taking advantage of the modern web the modern things that are available, if we can give you that on-ramp that gets you there, maybe you have to rewrite a small amount of code. You're going to have to rewrite some code. But if we can minimize that amount of code you need to rewrite by making it portable and, and get it into a .NET standard library, I think everybody wins. Do you ever have trouble just getting into the flow? You find that your tool is great? like Visual Studio, but you could just get more out of it or get some stuff out of your way or have it give you better feedback that you would be able to get into flow easier. Well, let me tell you about Code Rush. Code Rush actually solves this problem for you. So the first thing that it does is it actually gives you a visualizer on the way that the code is set up and it actually helps you debug stuff 
in an intuitive way that makes it easy for you to figure out what's going on. This really helps me stay in the flow when I'm trying to write code. Another thing that it does is it has a whole bunch of navigation options that you can get used to. Now, this is something that I figured out with Emacs was something that I really got into. So when I started using Emacs, just the key bindings and, and kind of the natural flow of things made me a much, much more efficient programmer. And the quick navigation in Code Rush is awesome. You should definitely try it out. They have code analysis, so they'll pick out some of the issues maybe for complexity or diagnose some other code issues that'll point out code smells, it'll help you refactor your code. So the code analysis is another thing where I don't have to actually go in and sit down and think, okay, have I made any mistakes in this code? Because it actually highlights them. And finally, it just validates like your code coverage and all of the other things that you're trying to look at and gives you real numbers and real feedback on the quality of your coding and the quality of your tests. So go check out Code Rush. You can get it at devexpress.com slash products slash Code Rush, or just go to devchat.tv slash Code Rush, and it'll send you to the right place. Once again, that's devchat.tv slash Code Rush. Okay. So I was thinking about the applications that I have there in, in web forms and really deciding how do I get to the future? And you know, I really wanted to go the, the Blazor route because of SignalR and real-time updates, things like that. The other option that I was going to have was like a .vvm. Oh, yeah. But but uh, in, in they have a lot of components that are kind of a, a swap out as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really give you that that real-time interaction of like Blazor does. So I was hoping for uh, this really excites me about Blazor. So if this works, I'm, 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 I'm all on board. It's a completely open source project. We've taken a number of great contributions from folks in the community. We have some uh, some Microsoft engineers that are going to put in some some work, adding a little bit of polish. We're we're adding documentation all the time to this. And and SignalR is something that that is available for .NET Framework also. Being able to use that with Blazor is a huge benefit, whether it's running client side or server side in, in WebAssembly or on your ASP.NET server. And these components work in both places also. So if you do get your WebForms application migrated, you could run it completely inside the browser as WebAssembly. So there's there's even some options there that folks haven't seen yet. They haven't right. You're you're not exposed. You haven't even con- considered. Oh my gosh, this could this could all run in the browser. And and when we think about some of the experiments and direction that they want to go with Blazor, experimenting with making desktop apps, making native apps using using Blazor. It, right. If you think about some of those those long time web forms apps, whether it's the accounting app, the inventory management app, that that it seems like so many of us built back in the day and they're they're in and, and running very well at different enterprises around the world to be able to run that as a desktop app and have that immediate deployment from a server the the update with data and being able to maintain the content very well is is very very exciting to be able to consider and we're we're just at the beginning of this technology so to hear the the consideration of folks who who've been maintaining an ASPX and a web forms application for years and years and years saying, okay, I want to consider this and, and be able to show this exciting direction where th- these many different technologies, we can take that is I, I think even more empowering for those folks to say, okay, I'm making the right choice because there's a lot of growth opportunities here that, that mean we can do cool things with this application for five, 10 years to come. I see one of the challenges is probably going to be that since this is core only, 
in my web forms is full framework for me to do a bit you know page by page migration i'm going to have to create multiple application pools one core one full framework and then set up shared authentication between the two but it's all possible it's so it's possible i would also encourage you to take a look at taking taking the business logic behind your behind your web forms right let's make our web forms let's make our aspx pages as dumb as possible right views should not have business logic in it right those aspx pages we were lulled into a false sense of security of putting inside that page load Right. Um, method. You know what I'm talking about. I see Caleb there digging <laughs> oh, yeah. in that page no, load handler. If not page on post back, then make a decision on this. If switch case and make the label yep. green, right? There's something in there. But if we can move that business logic into a class library, still, re- still refer to it, still reuse it and make that class library.net standard. Well, now, Sean, now your app application, your web forms application is just a user interface. It's it's not making decisions. It's doing a for loop over content to present or it's data binding back to a class that's being populated out of a .NET standard library, which if it was any other class library in .NET framework, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. But when it's .NET standard, now it's compatible with when you take it over to Blazor. And yeah, you're right. You might have some shared authentication challenges as you start to bring up application pools that were that, that are blazer only but if my goal is to have have a tool to get you migrated all in one shot over to blazer once you do that initial refactoring of your application code if we can get you 80 to 90 percent migrated thinking about a, a million lines of code in an application that means you still have to rewrite two two hundred thousand 200,000 lines of code dear lord but if we can get it migrated get it to a point of reuse it's a heck of a lot better than trying to figure out, re-architect, and move a million lines of code. I've looked at your GitHub repo, which we'll add in the show notes, but your documentation is really good. Oh, right? thank uh, you. I always you, feel like somebody says, I've been looking at your Git repo. It's like it's like you're looking in my dirty bedroom. What the heck is back <laughs> there? What do you, don't get No, it's um, right that you, you go through the steps. You even say up front, hey, you know, uh, we want this to be is applicable to web forms app as possible, but yours may not be up front. You may have to make certain steps to get yep. it there. But you're very thorough and there and I really I appreciate what, what y'all are doing. I don't I'm not managing a web forms app these days, uh thankfully. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> well um Sean's I jealous. Managing, I can see it right there in his face. <laughs> I, I I am sort of managing a classic ASP one, but only when I absolutely have to. I, I swallowed we're, we're, my toothpick. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> our uh, our boss built his company on classic ASP okay. 15 years ago. And he brought developers on board a few a few years back and we're basically uh, rebuilding it in current technology. So every okay. once in a while we have to dig in. Yeah. Even but, 15 uh, years ago, that's still pretty late to be building a twenty? Well, okay. you know, it's he's uh, he's not a developer. He's he old school. Really have a background in computer science. He just figured it out as he went, and it worked. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That says something about about a development framework that you're able to discover and just add the features that you need to. 
And mm-hmm. classic ASP was so flexible and able to do those things. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe a little too much, but... <laughs> <laughs> We're all friends here. We're all friends here. No judgment. Holy crow, what did you get away with? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but, but it works. And it's servicing a thousand clients. Um, oh, that's terrific. You know, okay. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, on a daily basis. You know, it's still it's still the backbone of the company, but yeah, very uh, cool. So anyway, we, I got us off on a tangent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for those who are who are curious, definitely look at the the repo. It's, we, we, it's well thought out. Thank you. We have some goals. I want to I want to build some migration samples there that show if you have a page that's structured like this, here's strategies almost a recipe for here's how you're going to move forward and get into blazer when you have that type of approach whether it's you're using master pages or you wrote your own base page or um you have your own user controls what does that look like how do you get that migrated because there's slightly different technologies when we land in blazer and in net core so uh, it's it's not just how do i migrate but along the way it's also a little bit of training so that folks can be exposed to these technologies and feel comfortable, right? It's one thing to get to, to say, I'm going to migrate the app to the new version of XYZ technology. If you're not comfortable with version XYZ, I don't care that you migrated it if you don't want to, if you don't know how to support it. As far as Blazor is concerned, I, I think, I think, right, you're, you probably know, know it as well as anybody, especially the amount of time you've, you've been developing with it. If a team were starting a new project, you know, uh, Greenfield, and they have experience, of course, in C-sharp and .NET Core and maybe even Angular, would you suggest using Blazor, you know, for uh, an app that's probably two or three years out? Go ahead and start developing with it today. If if they're building an app and they're very comfortable, they the .NET, C-sharp is mm-hmm. their preferred language, I would absolutely suggest that they they try Blazor. They, they give it a shot. Get into that MVP, go through a sprint or two, and see if it gets you where you want to be as quickly as, as you'd like to, right? Make sure you have some velocity there because the technology is going to feel very familiar to people who are who are um, seasoned WPF or WinForms developers or who have been doing uh, web forms for a long time. Data binding, two-way bindings, interacting with parameters, building components for reuse. These are all skills and technologies and architectures that we're familiar with, very familiar with as .NET developers. If If your team has more experience in working with JavaScript for a front end, then you know what? Build with Angular, build with Vue, build with React if that's what makes you happy. The, the, the goal here isn't to, to supplant, to replace a JavaScript framework, but to give you an, an alternative, right? For those folks that say, well, I want to go use a JavaScript framework, which means now I need to use Node on the server because I want to be the same platform front to back, top to bottom, and all I have to do is rely on JavaScript. I don't have to think about how I integrate with PHP or Ruby or Python or .NET or Java, it's all JavaScript. JavaScript, all the things. Then, then we only have one skill set to hire for. Well, you can do the same thing now with .NET. Your great C Sharp developers that you already have can now continue to grow and use all of the cool things that are in the Blazor environment and bring those .NET skills all the way to the front end and, and be very, very effective and be very, very happy. Um, one customer that I've been working with 
um, their team took some of their technology. They're building some really intense machine learning and compute. So much so they, they've built a distributed compute farm that they're, they're doing massive calculations on. And they report that all back to a central server. Well, okay, that, that server that's distributing the load out to, to the compute farm, they need to process and display a dashboard, give some, some feedback, some input points so that people can load up jobs to be consumed and also to consume the, the, the output of that, see status of those jobs as they're being processed. Well, because they, they built their distributed compute in each one of the compute nodes using C Sharp and .NET, it was very comfortable for them to say, I've got an ASP.NET server that communicates to those distributed nodes, and I'm going to build an, a Blazor front end that can run anywhere with WebAssembly because we're on a very fast network. It's inside of our, our compute uh, firewall, and we can be very efficient in how we present dashboards and graphs and information about, about the jobs that are being processed. And when you think about that type of architecture, where if you, when you come out of those compute farms and, and you want to start analyzing and presenting the data, you've almost got like, like, like processor overflow in your own mind. Like, oh my gosh, look at all the C sharp I wrote. Do you really want to go and shift technologies and start having to paint things with a lot of CSS and JavaScript? You can. But if you can stay in that same C-sharp environment and, and .NET technologies that you're familiar and comfortable with, well, that just makes it a little bit easier on everybody. What about the, um, the Blazor ecosystem? Like, would, would it, would, cause I mean, one of the advantages of using Angular and React and JavaScript in general is just, is NPM, you know, that's that whole ecosystem oh where you can just bring in anything really. Oh, Does yeah. Blazor have something similar or can you use NPM? So you, you can use NPM to bring in some of those technologies. If, if you, if you want to bring in JavaScript frameworks, CSS frameworks, less SAS, you want to bring in any of those technologies, Blazor will integrate with them. There is a JavaScript interop bridge that you can use to dip into some of those other technologies. You want to work with a bootstrap CSS framework? Fantastic. You can reach in and use all of that CSS. You want to interact with, with underscore or some other JavaScript framework? You can do that. You can reach through. I've, I've used uh, Moment.js with Blazor very, very well to do some better formatting of dates and management of some of that information on the user interface. And I, I can also go the other way. And from those frameworks, using Blazor, I can call from JavaScript back into .NET as well. Mm. So you've got a nice two-way street there. If you want to continue working with NPM, if that's, if that's where you have some libraries and technologies that, that you feel comfortable using, you can do that. Other folks feel really comfortable using technologies using .NET's package manager, NuGet. And you can reach into NuGet. And if something supports .NET standard 2.0, you can use it with any of the Blazor technologies, whether it's Blazor server or Blazor WebAssembly. .NET standard 2 means it'll just work pretty much everywhere. All of the modern frameworks, Visual, uh, I'm sorry, .NET Framework 4.8, .NET Core 2.0 and later, Blazor, Xamarin, it'll work in all of those places. So what you're seeing is folks taking those existing technologies, a Newton Soft JSON framework, and you can continue using it on Blazor. CSLA, that uh, enterprise friendly uh, framework, 
you can use that with Blazor. You, you want to go and use some other technologies around, around managing presentation, uh, scaling and doing different architectures. They, as long as they support .NET standard, they, they work. And because of how we package up Blazor components, Razor components inside of a package, just the same way as a NuGet package that, that might contain some of those features and, and capabilities, you can actually deploy Blazor components as a NuGet package on NuGet for folks to consume in their applications. So now, just like you can with NPM, where you might have right Angular directives that you might want to install and, and all kinds of different components for these other frameworks, you can do the same thing with Blazor, bringing in components and styling capabilities that work with your application, whether it's WebAssembly or server. Really, really flexible series of choices that you have in front of you. And, and I think that's something that is is understated is the amount of choice that folks have when they choose a technology that they want to adapt. When you adopt, adopt, that's a good word. When you adopt a technology, <laughs> we'll use that. That's a good word. We're going to, like, someone write that down. When you adopt a technology like Blazor and you move forward and you, you start working with it to be able to pull in from all those different sources, these choices of how you want to grow, fantastic. My gosh. I, I see people using the actor framework inside of a WebAssembly app. Right, actor framework helps you do distributed computing and and really simplify some of your some of your processing by building those little actor based classes and to be able to do that inside of webassembly well that's that's pretty powerful for me as an enterprise architect to have that choice available to me our guest last week was all about actor actor ah, pattern and things like that yeah, so Aka good timing yeah. yeah i was going to say aka is a great choice for that yes so are there any questions that we haven't asked about blazer that you think people should know about where did the name come from? <laughs> uh, I understand. Yeah, it's right. It's a combination of uh, browser and razor and the L just kind of got added somewhere. There you go. That and we've all got some fantastic looking sport coats. You gotta see uh, them. The purple suit uh, very to die for. Very sparkly. Oh yeah. <laughs> the the bigger things that I that I hear folks ask are is it production ready? Can can I really use this? Yeah. Am I actually going to get support? Yes, yes and yes. It is production ready. Is it is it going to run natively as fast or faster than JavaScript in the browser? Not yet. It's pretty close because it's running natively. It, it it's going to take a, a, a a little bit of time to get WebAssembly started because it has to go through that process of, of bootstrapping WebAssembly, right? It's not like the V8 engine with JavaScript that is able to just start up and start interpreting code as soon as it arrives. So there, there is a little bit of a step there that happens, but we're just at the beginning of this technology and exploring WebAssembly. It's, I mean, right, we've got 20, 25 years of JavaScript running on browsers at this point. We know how to run JavaScript on browsers and we're maybe two or three years into WebAssembly as a technology and we're in the first year of Blazor as a production ready technology. Let's see where this goes. It can only go up. It's not going to, it's not going to get slower. You know what I'm saying? So those are, those are the big questions that I get is, yeah, it, it, where are we going to take this? Where, is it, is it a real deal? Is, is this the next Silverlight? No, no. Serverlet got bit by by Steve Jobs and his and his infamous flash memo that 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 was shared. No plugins on mobile devices. This isn't a plugin. It runs standard in every browser. 
when, when the first time that you show somebody on their, on their iPhone, on their Samsung Galaxy phone, their Blazor application running on top of WebAssembly on their phone without a plug-in kind of shocks them that, that it does work and works so well there where they might be expecting a silver light runtime or a flash runtime or something. To, no, none of that happens and it just works. I think that's, that's all that any of us as software developers really ask for from our tools. Well, that's why Zoom is so popular right now because it just works. You don't have to do anything. You just, someone sends you a link, you click the link and it's like, oh, here you are, right? Downloads, installs all the things and yep. off it runs. Yep. The simpler, the better. Mm-hmm. So. I still like Skype though. <laughs> teams, don't forget Teams. Yeah. Right. Oh, right. I'm sorry, I forgot Teams. <laughs> and then teams you have is- Slack and that other one, Discord, right? So, I, Discord, I'm a huge fan of. Discord yeah, like really it. has done a nice job of of making communities available and an extensible platform that that is real easy to build bots and build integrations for and to integrate with communities so seamlessly. I'm really excited to see where they go with that technology because it's it's the quiet one that I don't think Slacker teams fully understands is coming for them. Right, because it's it, it more uh, gamer focused, right? It, it is a bit more um, focused towards the gaming communities. Um, yeah. You'll see people on Twitch and Mixer and YouTube have Discord integrations, have Discord communities that correspond to their channels. And, and that's okay. You know, that's that's great to be able to have that offline sync from the, the broadcast, from the YouTube discussions to continue going on. We all like that, whether it's Teams, Slack, Discord, to have that interaction. But to have the extensible model that, that Discord is pitching and they make available is something that that is going to create a little bit of a differentiator for them as they grow and figure out how they can make that different, better than, than Slack. Teams is hitched on to Office and SharePoint, and my gosh, they're integrated with anything Microsoft right now. It's really impressive what the Teams team, it, that's, it doesn't that sound weird, what the Teams team, what the Teams product team is able to connect to and make available as as part of that collaboration, um, really neat stuff. You could say something like the Teams team counts their team integration with Office Teams. <laughs> there, <laughs> you go, Caleb. His head. there you go, yep. Caleb. All right. right? Yeah. You're going off the rails. Off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Mm. All right. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I got to get going. I've got a web forms app to upgrade to Blazor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let, let, let us know how, how it goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm got your back, Sean. Mm. At least it's not classic ASP. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com. I think uh, what we'll do is we'll do our, our last uh, bit of the show, and that's where we do picks. And what we do is we like to let our listeners know anything that we're interested in lately. It could be a book, a movie, games, technology, whatever. 
it seems like we got a lot of switch games that get picked over and over again. <laughs> yeah, uh, guilty, like, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> but, I'm okay. sorry, I, I, I was just picking up turnips in Animal Crossing and, and missed that conversation. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> that that was last week. Oh my yep. goodness, my wife um, is hooked. Mm, I'm missing yep. out. I guess I don't have one of those. <laughs> That's that's absolutely a thing, and um, a, a number of my friends are very much hooked on the the, the turnip stock market mm-hmm. each week. Um, there, there's I, actually a website called Turnip Profit where you can track your your daily pricing, and it will actually give you a like a ninety percent good estimate of uh, what your turnips will what the high point will be that week. It's serious. Caleb, I'm telling you, Sean, about that site, I guess. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just I, I, we we just made uh, a million and a half uh, bells <laughs> this this week off of turnips. So I'm not. Uh, I haven't been spending my my days in Animal Crossing, but I, I watch a lot of Twitch. I'm I'm really hooked on the platform. I love everything that it offers. It's such a great tapestry of personalities, content. There's so much to learn, and and as a as a kid of the of the late '70s, early '80s. I was hooked on PBS on the weekends as a kid. Uh, I would watch whether it was uh, Bob Vila uh, building things mm-hmm. with this old house, uh, climbing under a sink and showing how he was replacing plumbing, uh, doing some carpentry in the kitchen to build a new counter, whatever it might be, or seeing Bob Ross with the joy of painting. I, I, am, I am a huge fan of the, uh, the makers and creators category of content on Twitch. Um, I have a number of, of friends that I've made in this area, broadcasters that, that do all kinds of really cool, really cool um, making, right? Whether uh, I have a friend that does woodworking and she's based out of Seattle and, and has a very uh, kid-friendly uh, approach to her show and, and friends that are, that are on the West Coast, a friend who makes chain mail jewelry, another that, that does paintings and and somebody else who's doing a couple of, of ladies that that make that make handbags that are that are just it's really cool to see the process. I never thought I'd get into watching sewing, but when you see how they explain it and they pull together stuff that that looks pretty cool and they end up delivering a, a product at the end, I, I think it's it, it's a compelling thing to watch. And because Watching on Twitch is a very active chat community. It's a very open discussion. And folks are trying to have a good time when they're broadcasting. Nobody's serious about this. We, we want to we talk, have a good time about as as if we were sitting in a room together and we were all working on the same projects together. It, it's such a fun and, and interesting community to be a part of. And, and I hang out occasionally in the, the Twitch makers and crafters community there. Mm-hmm. You got to have a regular dose of happy trees, you know. Yes. Oh yeah. Right. Yes. Happy they, little trees. I love they, them. They actually are they, like, are they doing this live? Um, like yeah. knitting not live. Yeah. So that that'll be the difference between Twitch and YouTube, right? Yep. It's not Absolutely. Nicely so, packaged. It's just <laughs> when they mess up, they you get to watch them go back and say, "Oh, rats! I got to go fix that and do whatever it is that that they have to undo." But yeah. to exactly your point, Caleb, about happy little trees and and Sean. It, how do well Bob Ross is actually live 24 7 on Twitch all of his repeats are right there and they're going all the time non-stop around the clock so if you miss Bob Ross he's back and so is the afro it's 
just as bold as ever. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of his uh, costumes in, for Halloween last year, so he's still, <laughs> he's still going on. Yeah. All right. So, Caleb, what's your pick for this week? It is not a Switch game. I was, I was considering it, but it's not. It's actually probably like the, 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 the total opposite. It's Westworld Season 3. I just finished it, and my goodness – is our world going to hell in a handbasket? You got to watch it. It's uh, it's very it's dark, but <laughs> really, <laughs> but dark. it's good. It's yep. I I saw that as well, and it was it was something. It, it felt like they pivoted from being very western in mm-hmm. right very western atmosphere in seasons one and right. two. Season three, they got very dystopian future in the tone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And but um, but the thing is, right? They pulled stuff from today or things we're already dealing with and just yes. extrapolated, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely very dystopian future. I still for, flash for, back forget to guns the... in Westworld. It's <laughs> it's it's not West anymore. <laughs> no. Yeah, I still flash back to the original, you know, with Rooker. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I remember watching that. Oh my gosh, yes. So they, they, they've right, done why? a nice job with the series. Yeah. Yep. Why? What do you have first? So I actually got a new phone the other day. My um, other phone broke. So this is the Oppo Reno 5G. And yeah, I'm just loving it. So I haven't had a new phone in a couple of years. Um, it's got like, it's got this weird like 60 time zoom thing where you can like, you can literally zoom in. It's like a binocular kind of thing. So, um, and it's basically in Australia, they're, they're practically just giving it away right now like i think i bought mine for like 600 dollars australian which is probably about 400 bucks us and it's yeah. basically a flagship model it's got like eight gigs of ram and it's, um, it's got like 256 gigs of ssd and yeah it's um and i'm just really enjoying it right now so i have one question for you did you intentionally break your old phone so you could get no it? no I, my wife kept asking me that actually um, but <laughs> i was like i was jogging and it just it literally just fell out of my pocket i swear like <laughs> but, uh, is, there much, is there much 5g in australia I haven't actually used the 5G capacity yet, um, but I, I, I think not really. I think unless if you stand right next to the tower, you get 5G. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, no, the 4G is still pretty good. But yeah, no, I, to, to be honest, because of this pandemic, I haven't really been out much, so I don't, I don't know right. what the um, actual mobileness of the mobile yeah. phone is. But. <laughs> I heard if you also stand next to the tower, you catch uh, uh, COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and radiation damage. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the windmills. Oh, oh okay. Oh, that's <laughs> fine, yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> windmills cause cancer. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. So I'm actually going to pick Microsoft Power Toys, the new version of Power Toys. Mm. And uh, they had some new additions to it recently. So there's a Power Toys run where you can just, you know, alt space and just start typing and you can search or launch apps or anything like that. Um, there's also like six other toys in there. There's a keyboard manager, image resizer. There's another one that's, that's called, um, fancy zones. So if you like to specify your, your layouts of your windows, um, that's a really handy one too. So if you want to do things like that, check out Microsoft power toys. Sean, we we need to get you a switch. I feel like fancy zones are are really effective when you have a, a just gigantic screen, 4K, ultra mm. wide. Now you're you're in a place where yeah, you want to position your windows 
in specific locations and fancy zones really helps enable that that snap into those locations that you are comfortable seeing windows at yeah i have a 32 yeah. inch 4k so it, it does help me out yeah that's so no, i, I gotta have add those features to windows and, 10. and vertical tabs and in, in visual studio and i'm happy <laughs> it's a good one all right jeff what do you want to let people know about oh yeah the the makers and crafting your, oh that's <laughs> oh that was your pick makers and crafting. i'm okay. watching twitch hey, i'm sorry it's He's, on the he other was already... screen. <laughs> right here. I'll put that link. Right. Like um, I'm already there watching. Things are going by. This guy's uh, building I a birdhouse. I just got into Twitch and it right, it starts immediately and, and it's esports for charity. They're they're playing a FIFA game. That that that's not makers and crafts, but um, no. that, that's um, what they're pushing. It, Twitch is really known first for watching people play play video games on it, right? And right. Gosh, right. when kids you used to go over to their house, hey, watch how I beat Super Mario Brothers. This is really cool. And you'd, you'd sit down and watch, and, and you'd make fun of them because they'd always miss that one jump in World 3-1. Right? I mean, that was kind of a thing, you know, when you were a kid to to hang out like that. But when you can broadcast and share that online and see some of these people who are really good at playing first-person shooters, the, the Fortnite players, the PUBG players, and, and they're able to do these, these amazing feats of skill with how they control their weapons and, and navigate around the maps. It's amazing. So yeah. it's talking, it's, talking about and, games. Did you see recently where NVIDIA made Pac-Man through AI? Yeah. I didn't quite understand what it, how they made Pac-Man. It watched hundreds of thousands of frames of the game and learned it okay. and then recreated it. I so I'll, it. I'll, I'll, I'll put the, the, the article from NVIDIA in the, in the show notes in the chat here so you can, you can look at it. But I was like, oh, my God. The, the AI create, recreated the game. Right. By itself. Oh, wow. By itself. Wow. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. And it and it's for the anniversary of of, of Pac Man. Oh, gotcha. Well, yeah. uh, let's say fifty thousand Pac Man episodes produced a fully wow. functional version of the game. The the world is definitely going to hell in a handbasket. Watch <laughs> Westworld. <laughs> there was so there was a competition. There was a programming competition for the month of May on online where people were building AIs to win a multiplayer game of Pac Man, and they. Yeah. Put Right, you would control your your little Pac-Man character and move them around the board with whatever your algorithm was that you wrote, and they pit you against three other three other bots, and you had to chase down the ghosts and capture the most pellets and score the highest on the board, and and that was an AI competition in May. I forget the name of it, but it was it was kind of exciting to see how people were writing these. So I think I was um, watching something about um someone doing that for Super Mario. Like it would it would just have this computer just constantly play Super Mario and the first time it would just run straight and then fall off. And then the second time it would probably do the same thing, but it would just do it millions and millions of times and eventually it would just be able to pass the, the level, you know, which is pretty scary when you think about it. So Yeah, just learning the board. Really cool. Yeah. All right. So Jeff, if our listeners have questions and want to reach out to you, how can they get in touch? Um, you can, the best way to reach me is on, uh, Twitter. I am C sharp Fritz on Twitter. I broadcast three days a week right now on Twitch, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. I start at 9am Eastern. That's 6am Pacific in summertime here during daylight savings. That's, um, 1300 UTC. 
and I broadcast on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, 1400 UTC on twitch.tv slash Fritz. My blog is at jeffreyfritz.com, and uh, I'm on GitHub, github.com slash Fritz. Awesome. And if our listeners want to reach out for the show, they want to get in touch with me or have suggestions or comments on the show, they can get me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Da, da, da. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. That was awesome. All right. Glad you could come and, yeah. and be on the show. Cool. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. All right. And so we'll I'm, catch you. I'm looking for that AI Pac-Man game now. <laughs> like, uh, I want to make sure you have a link to this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Put it in, in, in the notes, in the comments there. So, all right. Cool. If anybody, uh, you know, like say, reach out. Or we'll catch you all in the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.